We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and we're here talking about the second week of the NFL preseason. Every team has now played two preseason games. Every squad's starters have at least seen the field for a short period of time. Obviously, the wins... This time of year is almost like that game, whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. What's the quote for that? Everything's made up and the points don't matter. (laughs) Welcome to the NFL preseason, folks. That's it. And the coaching staffs are kind of learning about the guys that they have left under their purview is the teams have cut their rosters down to the final 80 remaining players. We're going to take a look around the AFC East tonight and just kind of break down what we've seen thus far from each one of these teams through the eyes of one of our divisional opponents, uh, podcasters, beat reporters, obviously Scott Mason, Alfartiaga joining us, and Mr. Mark Schofield making his triumphant return to the show. I can't wait for it. I. This feels like a weird preseason, doesn't it? Like it feel di- didn't it feel like it's it's gone by quickly already? Yeah, I'm just waiting for the opening week to get here. Like roster cuts isn't even a thing that we Bills fan. I mean, that, that's a dynamic we'll get to in a little bit, guys. But first, we have to start with the AFC East 2021 basement dwellers, the New York Jets. And to bring us up to speed, Mr. Scott Mason, how are you doing this evening? Gentlemen, I am doing fantastic. I am still basking in the glow of Strevler mania. It's running <laughs> wild, just like prime Hulkamania in the 1980s. You can't get away from it. And all you can do is look at the nearest person you can find in New Jersey and say, what you going to do, brother, when Strevler mania and that magic mustache runs wild on you? And then if you can do it, you rip your shirt in half. 
Is that so, so? I like how you said if you can do it. Like, first of all, New Jersey is home to some of the fattest people on earth. Like, right. their shirts are already ready to explode off them to begin with. It shouldn't be that difficult. Uh, biggest storyline for you guys literally has become the backup quarterback battle, and it's <laughs> it's kind of funny to me. Like, that's d- d- I had hoped for you just because I like you. Right, like you're a friend of the podcast, but I we talk a lot off air to to to, to almost to a point. Like Chris gets annoyed by how much small talk you and I make, but I'm pretty sure you and I could riff for like an hour, just not podcasting, just having conversation. Oh, Two dudes, numerous hours, Drew. I feel like if, especially if you were hammered, oh. we could talk for like four hours. So what I love about this though is that. W- <laughs> When I I want good things for you, right? Not so much for the New York Jets, but for you personally, just as a guy, from one guy to another, I want good things for you. The problem is, is bad things keep happening to your quarterback. So we have to have these conversations about who's going to be the next potential QB wonderkind who just comes along and gives you guys like a, a much smaller version of Lynn sanity all over again, like turns the tri-state area into like bedlam for a week and a half. Uh, it's like, is it real? Is that really the most exciting thing going on in the wake of these two kind of come from behind preseason wins? Yes and no. Yes, in that it's given us a reason to enjoy these preseason games, especially the last one where almost none of the starters played. I mean, a handful of them, but a lot of them were sitting out, including Joe Flacco, who's currently the starter, but you would hope would be the backup over the course of the season. So really what Strebler has done has given us some entertaining second halves here over the last two weeks. And it's funny because the Jets were just getting absolutely pulverized. It was 16-3, if memory serves, at the end of the first half. Mike White threw a 26-yard pass to Denzel Mims at the end of the half to set up a field goal, which the Jets probably only kicked because they wanted to see who the better kicker was in the competition. P.S. That decision's been made. It's Greg Zerline, who as of now, I guess, is going to be the starting kicker because Eddie Pinero got waived. But so you get going in the second half, and the Falcons were just killing the Jets. And part of the reason is the Falcons played all their starters. The Jets played mostly backups. But then Strebler comes in, and there's just a different vibe around the team. Now, again, let's qualify this with the fact that most of the guys that he was playing against are going to be backups or pumping gas at the Sunoco station in a couple of weeks. But ultimately, what it comes down to is, even though there are much bigger storylines around this team right now when it comes to the actual preseason games the fun has all been in the strebler mania <laughs> that's i just was hoping for more for you man like this year i was like okay <laughs> this is gonna be the year that they're they bring more they're more exciting like this is gonna be a lot of fun well, listen true to be fair you have to think about this right the wilson injury notwithstanding The starters only played for a quarter of the first game. So there's only so much you're going to see there, right? And then the second game, they didn't play any of the starters. So, yeah, you're going to see some backups. And there have been some backups who have played well. We talked about Michael Clemens last week, right? He's done very well. Tenzel Smart. There's a variety of different guys on the offensive defense who have shown some things. But for the most part, you're not seeing a ton of the starters. That'll change this week on Sunday when the Jets play the Giants. So when we talk next week, There'll be a lot more to talk about with that. But realistically, I get what you're saying. 
yes, it would be nice to have more, but given who's been out there for how long, there's not really much you can say other than, hey, the Strebler thing has been fun, and some of these other guys have made a play or two here and there, but they haven't played a ton. You know what I mean? Of course. No, that makes sense. So in terms of points of confidence, things that have you feeling good through two weeks about your football team, you just hit on one of them, I think, for you guys, Michael Clemens. The fact that he's continued to play well now through two preseason games, and just the fact that your defensive line depth overall seems to be standing out. Am I correct in assuming that's got to be one of the silver linings through two games so far? Yeah, I think so. And with Clemens... (laughs) Rich Semini of ESPN actually had one of the best tweets of the summer, I thought. Clemens, I guess, uh, jammed his his helmet uh, or got jammed into a helmet and he got helped off the field, something with his ribs. He came back like the next day. But Rich Semini tweeted out, Clemens helped off the field after colliding with a helmet. Uh, uh, No word on Clemens' condition yet. Also, no word on the helmet. So that tells you what we're all thinking about Michael Clemens. This guy is as physically intimidating a player as I've ever seen. And it's not just because of how big and strong and athletic he is. If you watch him at the press conferences. His demeanor. Yeah. Demeanor is just, and he's not even doing it on purpose. Like This is who he uh, is. It's natural. It's not fake. Yeah. It's- Andy Vasquez, who, who's a friend of the show, comes on a lot. He covers the Jets for NJ.com. He texted me. I almost had a near-death experience with Michael Clemens, and I said, well, what exactly happened? And if you've heard the tape, I think I sent it to you guys. Yep. Andy was the one that asked him about the Debo nickname, but Andy thought that he knew about it, and apparently Clemens did not know that his teammates call him that behind his back. So (laughs) Andy was breaking news, and he was like, uh, did you not know that? Should I just drop the microphone and run out of the building now? How does this work? Yeah, so. like that, that's hilarious. <laughs> no, and it's funny because you can tell. Like, we always joke about Josh Allen, how you know, Marlon Humphrey kind of outed him, and if it wasn't for that, no one would know. And you, you've seen it now, like now that it's been nationally televised and you've gotten to see, people have seen him in the fourth quarter of the Tampa Bay game. They've seen him in that fourth frame against the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional game last year. They've gotten to see who Josh Allen is on the football field, the fire that he has to him. And, you know, Marlon Humphreys outed him as one of the biggest shit talkers. He, cause they asked him in a, it wasn't even a Bills related thing. They were just like, who's the biggest shit talker you've played against in your career? And he said, without a doubt, Josh Allen. And everyone went, wait a minute, what? The Bills quarterback? He goes, yeah, no, that guy. No, he's by far the biggest shit talker. <laughs> and you started to reevaluate who this guy was because his demeanor off the field and behind microphones and pre- like it didn't match what this guy was laying out. And now we've seen it. And you start to talk to other players like we've talked to guys who have been on the field with him and they're like, no, he's he's a wild animal. <clears throat> Clemens has that. He just hasn't learned how to leave it on the field. Because it's so innate to who he is. He doesn't realize that he walks around like Debo, that he walks, carries his gr- sense of gravity with him wherever he goes. And you guys had other defensive linemen who were standing out, making plays you know, throughout the course of the game. And as you guys narrowed the gap in the second half, there were pressures, there were sacks being applied. It was, it's, it's good to see that somewhere you have depth. Because if I'm looking at points of concern through two games, the first one has to be just... I've got two different points in this, but just the overall depth of this team is being exposed a little bit. 
I mean, first of all, your quarterback depth is being shown is relatively thin. Flacco, everyone knows what Flacco is. Okay, he's he's over the hill, but he's a longtime pro. He can throw a lot of he can do a lot of, a lot of the little things correctly, accurately. He can get in and out of a huddle. He can orchestrate an offense because he's been around the game for so long, and there is value to that. But he's also won two games since 2019, and you know this. In a brutal last-second primetime loss to New England back in 2020, although it worked mm-hmm. for you guys because you guys were still like, that was your tank year. You were tanking for yes. Trevor Lawrence that year. Mm-hmm. The dude just doesn't have any fire left in him. He throws an interception at the end of that game as he's trying to go for like a home run ball, and he doesn't even move. He just stands there and watches the defensive back as he's weaving through your offense Watches him run it back almost to midfield and then finally watches him get tackled and then just shrugs and kind of takes his helmet off and walks to the sideline. It's like he doesn't give a fuck about any of this. That's not good. Strevler is at least out here playing with heart, but he doesn't have he's got like a Ryan Fitzpatrick thing about him, right? Like a guy who he might not have all the physical tools, but he seems like he's all heart. And he's really just saying that because of the beard. No, 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 no. I'm saying this because (laughs) you again. Not elite arm strength, but he at least is willing to go out there and sling it anyway. And it'll get him in trouble, but also it makes plays. And he's, he's an irrational confidence guy. Yes. I believe that's what it's me. It. He's me trying to date. <laughs> he was me back in my 20s when I was approaching groups of women with boxes of Werther's original. Like Werther's started selling these Werther's minis in like a single serving container. I'd walk in a, in a, in a bar setting. I would walk up to a group of female. If there was a girl and I'm like, I want to go say hi to her. I'm going to go talk to her and find out what her story is. I'd walk over to her and her friends and offer them all a Werther's original. <laughs> it, it does a hey, conversation starter. The irrational confidence that I, have. <laughs> that's, that's Chris Streveler playing quarterback right now. And then you've got Mike White who was one of the best stories in the NFL for 15 days in 2021. <laughs> and now he's kind of just an also-ran that you look at and you go, maybe someday you'll find a place somewhere that's not good. You were kind of probably hoping to see a little bit more out of that group, right? Mike White is exactly who we thought Mike White was originally, which is a guy who is limited. He maybe can turn into a decent backup, but he's not more than that. And and people got fooled by the Cincinnati game. I think part of it is that there obviously wasn't much tape on Mike White at the time. Another part of it is that he was doing a lot of dink and dunks, and that just happened to be exactly what was the Achilles heel of the Bengals at that particular point in time. And then the clock struck midnight. I mean, he played really poorly against the New England Patriots, and everybody sort of realized, yeah, because you remember there was actual talk because fans are crazy. Oh, man, the Jets should go with Mike White. It's his team now, all in that. You're just sitting there Listen, saying, you guys aren't alone. We're going to talk with Elfartiaga here in a few minutes about uh, the, the, the Tua and Skylar Thompson narrative. Holy uh, shit. Like, yeah, I don't I know what it is about Al- you guys. Tell Alf, number one, that I said hello, and then the second thing, tell him I feel his pain. <laughs> but that basically what, what was going on last year until the the clock struck midnight on Mike White. And with Strebler, it's sort of like Mike White, but in a different way. What Strebler sort of reminds me of a little bit actually is there was a guy named David Clowney on the Jets back in the uh, mid, uh, no, it was more the late 2000s, right? 
And David Clowney was this big, fast receiver who in the preseason would just kill it, just absolutely light it up. And then as soon as, as Bruce Pritchard would say on his podcast, as soon as the bell rang, there goes David Clowney. So everybody started to call him Mr. August because he was a preseason legend and then was nowhere to be found in the regular. Streveler, that kind of guy. I don't know. Maybe he's got more in him than that. Like, look at a guy like Tyler Haneke, for example. Tyler Haneke is not really a starting caliber quarterback, but Washington has to be fairly happy with him as their backup. And what I heard, and I'm going to be doing a show on him in the next couple of days, is that Streveler was actually used in almost a Tim Tebow kind of fashion. If you remember Tim Tebow when he was a freshman at Florida, when they had Chris Leak as the quarterback, Tebow was a guy who they would call like trick plays for, and they would have him in short yardage situations, the goal line, stuff like that. Strebler did that when he was on the um, the Blue Bombers, the CFL team that won the Grey Cup. So I don't know. Maybe they can find some sort of role for him, almost like Taysom Hill. I'm reading Mike Westhoff's book. I guess, look, when you're the Jets, you find ways to be creative, and maybe Strebler showing them something. I, I think ultimately he probably – doesn't make the roster and maybe they try to sneak him onto the practice squad or something, but he's certainly making a case for himself and it's been fun. One of the funniest things to me before we move on is that you guys are a franchise that have somehow found all of these different points of excitement with guys no one's ever heard of before, like a Mike White, a Chris Streveler. And yet you drafted Christian Hackenberg. Mm. <laughs> you guys drafted Christian Hackenberg. And but yet these guys are giving you more that like, is he the bar? Like if you can do more than Christian Hackenberg, you're welcome here in Jets fandom. For more than just that, but if it was only that at this point, I would still say that Mike McCagnin, who by the way is not only the worst general manager the Jets have ever had, he's one of the worst general managers in the history of the league. No, Mike Matt Millen, Matt Millen would like a word, sir. I, would I, once, that I, once, I once said that the NFL, when they when he was done, they should have gotten a restraining order against him so that he's not allowed to publicly speak. He's not allowed to publicly speak <laughs> about the NFL. Well, I would argue that Matt Millen and Mike McCagnin are in the same class. And what I was going to say is Mike McCagnin should be in Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> if, if not for the Christian Hackenberg pick. But that alone is worth it. If you go and look at his draft history, we were joking about this one day. Andy Vasquez, who I mentioned before, and I were, were taping a podcast. And afterwards, we started talking about McCagnin. And it must have been a 30 to 45-minute discussion breaking down his free agent signings, his drafting, all that. And the man literally was the reverse of King Midas, as uh, Tony Soprano would say. He was King Midas in reverse. Everything he touched turned to shit. So, well, just and so you see Christian Hap, like you said, anything's a feel-good story after that. So then, speaking of things turning to shit, the lack of defensive depth in key positions is kind of also showing its face. You take those starters off the field. When you don't have a sauce gardener, who everyone is anticipating is going to be a very good player, You've seen what he's done in practices. You know what he was in college. He's a known quantity. DJ Reed is a guy who you've seen play on NFL Sundays. You know he can at least, he at least looks the part. I think he was on that uh, 2020 team that the Bills beat for when he was with the Seahawks. So 
you know that they have defensive backs who are capable of playing on a Sunday. The problem is, is that when those guys come off the field, it's a long season, right? Those guys can't play every snap. And also, it's a war of attrition. You guys know that better than anybody, considering that you, you've you led the league in man games lost here for, or at least been highly, highly ranked in man games lost for the last like four or five seasons. You watch some of what happened in this last game. And you look at Bryce Hall, basic zone concepts just escape this guy. You've got Isaiah Dunn, Javelin Gidry. They're all giving up big plays, and there doesn't seem to be any communication. There's like They can't talk to each other. So there's breakdowns (laughs) happening in space, sizable gains. But when it's like, hey, I'm the cornerback, and I'm going to pass my guy off to the safety, and then I'm going to go back to my zone, no one is on the same page. And I don't think that's because of coaching, because Robert Sala ran a very, very effective defense in San Francisco, and he's trying to replicate that here. So it leads me to believe that some of it's just the talent he has on hand. And then you look at uh, Delshawn Phillips, a former Buffalo Bill at linebacker who just had a bad night, just a bad night tackling in the run. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner didn't do much better. I guess the thing is, the reason, I, I guess what I'll close this with is, Everyone believes that the Jets will be better in 2022 than what we've seen from them over the last two seasons. And a lot of that has to do with the talent that you guys have amassed in terms of free agent signings, in terms of recent draft picks with the glut of picks that you had. The problem is, is that also you're an injury prone football team and it's a long season. Your depth will inevitably come in handy. And the Jets just don't seem to have, like, you guys have reached a point where your starters at least look on paper like they should be intimidating. But that depth just isn't there, and this game definitely proved it. What do you think about that dynamic? Well, as far as the secondary, for example, Sauce did play, and he was targeted zero times. In fact, he's been targeted zero times in the preseason, and what that tells me is not that necessarily quarterbacks are afraid of sauce. Guys, he's, it tells not, me that they're not locking open. his guy up. <laughs> there's there's right. nobody open over there. There's nowhere to go. Exactly. Which is, which is great. That, that said, I remember having this conversation with you before the draft. And I, I was pounding this point home on the podcast. I like Bryce Hall. I think for a fifth round pick, he's given the jets pretty good value. The problem is Bryce Hall's really not ideally a starting corner. He's a guy that, should be a third or fourth boundary corner. And really the same thing for Brandon Eccles. Those were the two starting corners last year. And you would hear people throw out stats, blah, 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 this and that. And I would say over and over again, the Jets were the worst team in the NFL against the pass. <laughs> yes. And I would go through all these stats, and then I would say, look at the, the passer rating. The Jets, the passer rating against with the Jets on third down was 120. 120. I don't even know if it gets any worse than that. The Jets could not hold teams on third downs. And look, you guys saw when the Bills played the Jets that second time, Josh Allen just ate Bryce Hall alive. And again, I like Bryce Hall, but the problem with him is he's physically limited. He's not an elite athlete, and he doesn't have elite speed. So he tries to limit damage, and what happens is a guy like Gabe Davis burns him. A guy like Stephen Diggs jukes him out of his shoes. Or as we saw on the game that just happened between the Jets and the Falcons, a guy like Kyle Pitts absolutely destroys him with a double move. And by the way, Kyle Pitts afterwards <laughs> talked about how 
he said he gave him the double as he was going to give him the double move. He saw the fear in Bryce Hall's eyes. He didn't say his name. <laughs> oh, no. He said, I saw the fear oh, in his no. eyes of getting beat. And so I gave him the double move and I knew he couldn't, couldn't hang with me. And that's really the problem. And that's why I said all offseason when everybody said, oh, the, you're, you don't know anything about the scheme. You don't know anything about Robert Sala. The Jets have two solid corners and you don't even really need corners in this scheme and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, first of all, every scheme needs corners. That's every every single scheme Brett needs corners. Yeah. The fuck our, is your being talking Pullman, about? Uh, said it best. There isn't a scheme on planet Earth that doesn't require good corners. But, but more importantly, the, the bottom line here is that everybody that told me that Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles were good enough, I mean, they went out and they paid DJ Reed, and then they went out and they drafted Sauce Gardner fourth. So what does that tell you? Yeah, they, it tells you that they knew they needed good corners because Javelin, Gidry, Eccles, and Bryce Hall weren't going to get it done. It just sucks to know that even in like spot duty, if they have to come in on Sunday, you're already going, ah, shit. And you look at some of the teams like the, you know, meanwhile, you look at teams like Miami that have cultivated cornerback depth. You look at teams like Buffalo that can have a pro bowler go down on Thanksgiving and still go on a win streak to end the season and almost win the divisional game and host an AFC title game. Like They can do that because they have cultivated quality depth. You guys are probably another offseason away from that. I just hope that that lack of depth in your linebacking and core and your cornerback group doesn't come back to bite you in the ass. So week three, your starters are going to play. Real quick, before we get out of here, what are you looking for and where can we hear all about it over at Play Like a Jet? So obviously we're going to be doing a lot of fun shows throughout the rest of the time. We're doing the daily training camp reports. I'm actually going to be speaking to the team reporter for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers about Chris Strebler. We're going to talk about his origin story. We're going to talk about how he became a short-term legend in Winnipeg, how he only left because he wanted to pursue opportunities in the NFL. Talk about what he's like as a person, because I think he's a fascinating character. Whether or not he ultimately winds up on the roster, I think he's an interesting character who's given us some fun in the offseason. So we've got that. Obviously, we'll do a post-game report after the Jets and the Giants. We're going to continue to do daily training camp reports. And then, obviously, the season is coming up. So we've got a lot in store some some new faces that are going to be regular guests on the show during the season, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, seven days a week, even in the off season. Obviously, as we ramp up, it, it, there's going to be a lot more. Uh, it's going to be a lot easier for me to generate content, I should say. Seven day a week podcast. You can download it anywhere that you can download podcasts. You can also go to playlikeajet.com. You can also go to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/playlikeajet. I would argue that Play Like a Jet at this point has more original content between the website, the YouTube channel, and the podcast on a regular basis than even WWE Network, which is saying something because they've got a much bigger budget than I do. So check out, our po- check out the podcast every day, seven days a week. Check out the YouTube channel. Check out the website. Gentlemen, as always, a pleasure. And uh, I, I got to tell you real quick, last thing, speaking of Josh Allen, that moment between him and Case Keenum when Case Keenum went undercover as a fan at training camp getting autographs <laughs> and he was screaming, Josh, Josh, and that like 10 seconds that it took Alan to figure out that it was just Case Keenum screwing with him 
might have been the funniest thing I've seen this summer. So kudos to you guys for that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So as I we welcome in Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry to talk to us about the Miami Dolphins, who lost to the Raiders 15 to 13 this past week. Elf, how are you doing this week? How are you feeling? Uh, pretty damn good. Good. Uh, although if you listen to to Twitter folk, <laughs> uh, I'm engaged in some type of a uh, conspiracy with all the beat writers, uh, the Miami Dolphins, and now evidently Eagles beat writers as well because there can't be good news. You, you understand? <laughs> Nothing good. If you say something nice, obviously you're a team shill, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was the that was the the modus operandi of today. Well, good thing that we had all all of the eagle eagles uh, media there as well, talking about how how good the the dolphins played on this day. And there's no there's no other way to to you know look first team against first team. Uh, both teams had two drives. Eagles had a three and out, and they got one first down, and then they punted. Dolphins drove right down the field for a touchdown on their first drive, and then they kicked the field goal with time expiring. So they won. They won one on ones. Ten nothing. That's it. That's all. That's all we're saying. Tua <laughs> was good. Jalen Phillips was better. Uh, although I gave two of the because you know the, your quarterback you know starts completing longer passes and he looks good. You know he's gonna outshine a defensive end that gets a couple of hurries and a sack, right? And Teron Armstead looked good too. Uh, the only issue we have right now is that we're running out of cornerbacks. Yes, <laughs> and that's and all of this. See. Everything you, this is why, Chris, I, I enjoy Elf just as a professional, just because I don't need to prep him. I don't have to send prep sheets. You just touched on so many things that we're about to talk about because, first of all, this dynamic amongst your fan base is a hilarious thing to watch. Dolphins Twitter is amazing. I mean, my question with a bullet point right next to it on my sheet right here why can't Dolphins fans just enjoy nice things? I used to think that Buffalo Bills fans were probably the most hyperbolic people the internet had. Their Facebook groups are just a swamp. I try to stay out of there altogether because you hear some crazy stuff. And I mean, Chris, admittedly, pot calling the kettle black. I'm a hyperbolic jerk off sometimes, aren't I? You are. It's all over Reddit. Okay. And I think I still live up to a lot of that, depending on how many beers I've had in the given day. I've never seen anything as bipolar as Dolphins Twitter. 
I, I tried reconstructing a timeline for you, Elf, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong on this. So December 2021 into February 2022, Dolphins Twitter said trading for Watson would make you guys a contender. There was a lot of people who were like, well, you know, this is the thing, and Tua can't get it done, blah, blah, blah. March 2022 rolls around and the narrative becomes, oh my God, we've got Tyreek Hill. We're a contender now, baby. Our offense is going to hum. July 2022 rolls around. Two is taking the next step this year. Tyreek is elite. The Bills are officially on notice. We're going to dunk all over the Patriots. Early August 2022. That rookie seventh round pick we just drafted should be QE2, QB2. Better than Teddy Bridgewater. Tua looks like he's doing okay. Late August 2022. Skyler Thompson is better than Tua. He needs to be quarterback one. And I say to myself, ocean water doesn't do that to people. Are you guys, are they drinking turpentine down there? Uh, I don't know, but maybe maybe all these fans that go and see the practices and and are seeing other things, maybe they're being handed crack cocaine or something as they're <laughs> as they're walking into the 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 stadium because I don't get it. And some of those narratives and and I get serious inquiries sometimes. Ah, oh, but you got to admit they should cut Teddy Bridgewater and just make this guy the backup already. <laughs> you get to save all this money. I'm like, you're saving money for what? Like, what free agent market is there right now that you're going to use Teddy's money on? And by the way. You owe Teddy that money. They offered him $6.5 million guaranteed for the year. It's why he signed here. Okay? He had a chance to go to Carolina. He said, you know what? Compete in Carolina, a little less money, or guarantee money as the backup for Tua in Miami, in my hometown. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'll go back where where, where I live in the offseason for one season. And yeah, that's fine. He's QB2. Okay? <laughs> All these, all these people talking about Skylar Thompson. It's a cute story. He's he's a good player, but maybe he's also a year. He's also point, a year older than Tua Tagovailoa, by the way. To, to your point, maybe they roster him just to get him through, so it's not another Reed Sinet story. Yeah, like that's that, that's an issue. Like I, I think that that's something they're going to do because the you know the horse is leaving the barn already. But but like so, I, yeah. I was thinking, you know what? Maybe he throws in a stinker against the the Raiders, and then they could cut him and then put him on the practice squad, but. He's played his way onto the 53. It's going to cost us one roster spot, but, you know, he has a shot now next year, not this year, next year to be a very cheap backup. And that's a good thing. Well, that, that's a great thing. But the, for the lunatic fringe that's calling for him, because the, the, I've already seen it with my own two eyes. I had to do a double take. The people who were trumpeting to a tongue of like literally attacking Bills fans on social media going, oh, our team's going to roll your team. All of a sudden turn around and going, this guy should be our QB one. It's wild. I mean, I've dated Chris. You've met one of them. I've dated some absolute lunatics. Yeah. Nothing is bipolar as your fan base, man. So I, have I. It, it's crazy. no our fan base our fan base is is, is special that's a, that's yeah. the word the word you can use uh i had one interaction today where i said you know what because uh, mike kaseki uh he took a spill today he was injured and then he got up and then he returned to action when he returned to action they had a fourth and eight as time was expiring as the dolphins are trying to drive for a field goal and this was one versus ones uh, because uh, I'll explain what they did. They, they both teams simulated like game conditions, drives starting at your own 25 yard line. 
And if you got stopped before midfield, you got to restart. If you scored a touchdown, it was over, right? Uh, the Dolphins started practice at their own 25-yard line with officials, everything, you know, yard markers, the works. They drove the length of the field, and they got a touchdown. Tua just ran it in from three yards out on a little bootleg, right? Uh, they finished practice by saying, okay, there's a minute left on the clock, and you're down by two. And Tua drove down, and they kicked that 49-yard field goal to, to win it. They needed to convert a fourth and eight. And Tua threw this pass to Mike Gusecki that he caught one-handed and then ran out of bounds for about an 18-yard gain. And I talked about how that was pretty impressive considering that he was injured earlier in practice. And one guy's like, okay, you just don't want him to be traded. That that's so so you're you're talking up what Mike Gusecki has been doing today. So, you know, to prop up his star, I'm like, trust me, I have no say in what this front office does. I wish I did, but nothing I say is going to move Chris Greer one way or the other, okay? So if I tell you that Mike Gusecki was good, nobody, nobody in the front, Dolphins front office is going to say, look, you know, Al from three yards per carry says that Mike Gusecki was good today, so obviously we can't trade him, you know? Well, and so this is, when we're talking, having this conversation here tonight and the way that I, we're kind of running down each of our guests, we're talking about biggest storylines, which you just hit on, like the fact that your offense seems to be finding its footing, right? Like all of a sudden you've gone up against a team that was a playoff team last year and your starters outplayed their starters in an offensive capacity. That's obviously that's obviously a good thing, right? What would you say if there's something after two preseason games and a week of joint practices with the Eagles, you're the most confident about right now about your football team? Uh, what I'm most confident about is uh, the way the offense will look with Tua Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Now, Waddle hasn't practiced in two weeks, but he's doing all the individual drills, and he's signing autographs for everybody who would ask. So, And he is catching balls from the jugs machine after practice. It's obvious that they're saying, you know what, we're not going to mess with this anymore. You know, These speed guys can be a little iffy if they have a, a hamstring issue, so we're just not going to press our luck. But if I'm confident on one thing, it's that that the Tua, Waddle, Tyreek Hill connection, it's going to pay some dividends. It's going to be it's going to be what powers the entire offense, in my opinion. If I had to pick a second thing, Jalen Phillips, my God. Like this guy, he can't be blocked all of a sudden. So he's a guy that I would look to take a massive step. And, of course, you know, Javon Holland is a fan favorite, and deservedly so. He's, he's had a couple of days where he's completely short-circuited the entire practice. So see, and that's know. frustrating to hear just because I was a guy who I, there was a lot of red flags, right? There was a lot of things out there about Jalen Phillips that you said, okay, on, on paper, like you take the two Miami university defensive ends, Jalen Phillips, Greg Rousseau, and you say to yourself, okay, this guy's obviously the more natural pass rusher, but systemically in what you want to do, I understand why a guy like Greg Rousseau appeals to our coaching staff. Now, We'll never know if they were both on the board who our team would have picked. I mean, I'd like to believe they would have given Phillips a look, given he was set up to be the more explosive pass rusher of the two. It's just, it's fr- like every time I hear it, I cringe a little bit. Every time I hear a little Jalen Phillips cr- praise, I just cringe a little bit and I think like, damn, damn, I wanted that. I wanted some of that for me. And it's now, unfortunately, on a team in our division. In terms of points of concern, that you've seen through two weeks. I, I, I'd start like in my notes here. I'm just, cause I've, I've been paying attention, hate watching. I'd say some of your games and some of the action. And 
I just feel like you hit on it earlier. Injuries, that, that's something that happens every offseason. Every fan hates it. It's our it's the thing we dislike the most about the preseason altogether is that it, it it's it's a detriment to rosters, to roster building, to people dumb enough to draft their fantasy football teams in the middle of August. <laughs> Your secondary has had a rash of injuries. And it's kind of put you in a tough spot going into your final preseason game here against the Eagles. I mean, I'm going to run this down. Byron Jones hasn't played this preseason at all. He's hoping to be ready by week one. Trill Williams, we talked about it last week, that you guys lost him to a knee injury. You signed Mackenzie Alexander to kind of, like, not to take his place, quote-unquote, but just to be a body out there for you. In the interim, he's now on the IR with a groin injury. Then Tino Ellis, a guy who I've literally never heard of. Like, I heard Tino, and I'm just like, there's like a, there's a music group. Tino, Tino, I was like, was he one of the Jacksons? Uh, and then Nick Needham got banged up during the Raider game. So, you've got, how is he doing? Uh, he practiced today, but he okay. also left. He mangled his finger oh. in that Raider game. Jesus. <laughs> okay. And it was interesting because as it happened, Jason Taylor was like, ah, oh, it's just a finger. You know, get back out there. The next day, we spoke to the coach. And Mac McDaniel's like, it's just a finger. You know, it happens to defensive players. He'll be out there. And he was out there today. He left practice a little earlier. And I don't, I don't know what that was about, but I think it has something to do with the, with his finger once again. But Keon Crossan also had a, a concussion in yes. that game against the Raiders. And he was dressed today, but he did not practice. So he's another guy. So <laughs> yeah, it's. You guys are down to street free agents. Like Chris, <laughs> get out there. Get out there and see if you can walk on to be a member of the Miami Dolphins staff for this last game. Well, my uh, sciatica has been acting up, <laughs> so I'm 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 out. I'm on I'm on the I'm on injured reserve. I can't do it. Yeah. The oh. good news is that they have a couple of safeties that uh, are pretty good in the slot. So worst comes to worst, Nick Needham can play outside with Xavier Howard, and then they could just move Holland or Rowe to the slot. So they have options for. The near future, but they better go get their their fourth cornerback because everybody's falling behind the top three guys. Yeah, they gotta they gotta do something because I. It's funny the Bills fans will remember this. We had to. There was a couple times during the preseasons back in the. You might remember this, Chris. The uh, that's where the Jordan Palmer game came from, and the Matt Leinart game, where we literally didn't have any quarterbacks available. Like. Or that we felt comfortable risking to play in the final preseason game. So we would go out and sign a street free agent the week of the game and put them on the field. Like, that's <laughs> it. I feel like the Dolphins are almost getting there with their cornerback group. Not quite, but maybe getting close. It's not a great way to start the 2022 NFL season. So hopefully, some of this stuff, some of these players can get healthier for you guys. Last time we talked about your offensive line and how nobody graded positively in your first game run blocking. But a lot of that was schematic. You know, They were looking at what the other team was doing. They were kind of lining up specifically to keep you guys from running the ball. What, I think it was 11 attempts for 47, I think I have here. So this week you guys increased to 18 rushing attempts and produced less yardage. And no, none of your running backs have really found their footing this preseason. Is that a problem for you, or are you still confident that this group will gel? Oh, I think that the running game is not going to get going until they actually play their better players. Uh, I had some fans ask me, "Oh, you're not concerned with the with the four yards, 
in the first half against the Raiders rushing. And I asked him, your top three players didn't play and neither did your fullback, who you know is going to play a lot in Alec Engold. Yep. And he might be a team captain. He, he's, he's one of those rare, rare guys that nobody ever hears about him until you learn that he's been a team captain every single year he was with the Raiders. And he's actually one of the better fullbacks in the league, in a league that doesn't have many fullbacks, right? No. But they didn't have neither wide receiver, they didn't have Teron Armstead, and they didn't have Alec Engold. When you don't have those guys, you really don't have your offense. And then on top of all of that, you have your coach basically going into – an availability the next day and telling everybody, you know, I wasn't really kind of running my offense, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and he is as close as you can get to just flat out saying, I don't care about these preseason games <laughs> and they're useless to me <laughs> because he's already had two availabilities after preseason games. He was like, I'm pumped that they executed the vanilla crap that I was giving them. Like one thing I did like is because they asked him about the, the, the safety that Teddy Bridgewater took. And he goes, to be honest with you, don't blame Teddy. That was a brain-dead play call by me. I just wanted to see if we could get away with it. And obviously we didn't. So, so you know. I will say that play brings me to one of my last points before we let you go. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the uh, Vince Carter dunk over a 7'5 French uh, center during our Winners and Losers podcast. That'll be airing shortly after this podcast hits the airwaves. But I've got to bring it up here because you're talking about that safety. Out of all the things that he has no time for, he's got no time no for the preseason. He's got no time for Mike Gesicki. Now, he's, he's yep. being political about this. He's saying all the right things, sort of. I've got some quotes. I can't wait to throw them out there. But you look and at now this. we have source wars. Yeah, um, now I don't know if you're paying attention. <laughs> source wars. This hasn't happened. Our team didn't say that. Now one reporter, national reporter, reports something. Somebody comes out and says, "Nope, that didn't happen." I have it from another source. It's it's one of those things. But here's what I see. You guys already have two really good slot receivers in Wilson and Waddell. Uh, Waddle, you've got the Raiders game that showed. He cannot be asked to block. That play, what was your personal reaction? I want to know in the moment when you watched him just get the doors blown off on route to that safety. What went through your head? Uh, what I was, what was going through my head is that he could catch 800 yards worth of balls from Aaron Rodgers. This year. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, the, and and you know it's a, you know it's a bad sign when Mike Gesicki does a press availability. And let me let me say something about Mike Gesicki. He's always been very very cordial to me. He's very cordial to the media. He's a great guy. When you talk to him, like you never he's never going to be pouty. There's other guys on this team. You know who we're talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Preston Williams. There's other guys on this team, Preston Williams, <laughs> that are very pouty, very bitchy every time they talk to the media. He is not one of them. He's one of the actual good guys on this team. But come on, man! Like he can't block, and I know it's and it. And I'm telling you, it's a terrible sign when he does a, a press availability, and he's being his normal nice guy self, and he's like, "Well, I played wide receiver last year, and I'm learning how to play tight end now." And I'm like, "Buddy, you're six six, two hundred and fifty pounds. I think this is a thing that you should have learned at at Penn State, right?" You're six six, two fifty. Go put your hands on somebody. I don't want to like. It's one of those things where if uh, I guess the way I would say it is like this. If I get into a scuffle with somebody right now, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the smallest guy. 
but I can tell you this, like if that guy would have to be worlds, worlds, like more talented, more experienced, he, in order for me to like, just get beat the way he got beat. In order for that to happen, this guy, would, I would at least be able to keep him busy for 30 seconds. <laughs> like, that's what would happen. Even if I lost, it wouldn't matter. You're six, six, six foot six, 250 pounds. You mean to tell me that at no point you learned how to throw your body in front of another human being? Even if it's in a losing effort just to be a meat shield for your quarterback, you haven't figured out how to do that? Then it's probably not going to happen. Like, Yeah, and, and especially when your coach... Uh, who's, you know, you know that Mike McDaniel likes to, you know, he likes to crack jokes and he's he's funny with how he talks football. But one thing I do like about this coach, while Flores just looked at you with disdain if you asked any type of football question, this guy will go out of his way to answer football questions, okay? And I kind of know what his system kind of entails from a tight end, but he he's had some availabilities where he's been asked, well, you know, does the tight end have to do this, this, and that? And he's like, well, we literally have plays where it's it's fine if our tight end just falls down in front of somebody. <laughs> See, so if you can't do that, man, you gotta you, something something's broken here. Yeah, because because he's like, you know, I I love to have George Kittle, you know, the way he plays, but we have some plays and. Our offense can work just fine sometimes if our tight ends just fall down in front of certain people. Well, and, given, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's pretty much how that system works. So I assume that you guys are sitting your starters just like the Buffalo Bills, which means there really isn't a whole lot left for you guys to prove in week three. But you're going to have a lot to come out of this game. You're going to be talking about over on three yards per carry. You're going to be talking about the position battles, who's going to get cut, who might be out there on the street and available for the Bills to try to fill depth spots. Although I doubt for the first time in forever, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Where can everyone who's listening to this right now from all the various fan bases that tune in find your work? Uh, Of course, you can get our podcast, and that's the number three yards per carry. You can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere. And, of course, follow our work on our Twitter account, which is also the number three yards per carry. And so that brings us to our final guest of the evening, a a man who needs very little introduction other than that in the words of Dr. John Dorian, I miss you so much it hurts sometimes. Mr. Mark Schofield, how are you doing this evening? Gentlemen, what's going on? (laughs) It is fantastic to be there. I'm actually slowly working my way through. So my wife and I, we have this routine where at like 10.30 or so, she gets done doing whatever she's doing. I get done working down in my basement office. We sit down in front of the couch. She'll watch. She's working through Grey's Anatomy right now, okay? That's what she's watching. She had never watched it. She's watching Grey's. I'm watching, which I recently picked up, a show, Dark, which is – Slightly historical. It's actually, it was a PBS show. It's about okay. an English soldier in the revolution that comes back to England. And the woman he was going to marry, married his cousin. His father died and left him bankrupt. Like it, it's got like historical. You're a history bridges. nerd. So that makes yeah. sense. I mean, yeah, so am I, yeah. but yeah. So, I mean, so we each watch an episode of that. And then we either watch an episode of Brooklyn nine, nine, which we're redoing because it's, it's fun or scrubs. So we're actually going through a Scrubs rewatch right now, and we just got to the point where JD gets involved with Elizabeth Banks, and so it, it's a nice little. Yeah, I see Drew's eyes there. It's it's a nice part of the story. Like he's like bitter about her because she didn't want to do surgery on this guy because she didn't want her numbers to go down. And if you haven't guessed by now, 
am I playing a little four corners here? Am I trying to run out the clock? Am I trying to like avoid the reason you guys brought me on, which is to talk about <laughs> the New England Patriots office? Yeah, there's a little <laughs> of that going on too. Mark, why would we wouldn't bring you on here just to make you a pinata? We wouldn't do that. We love you. <laughs> Not that you've done it before. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so maybe I'm a liar. Maybe we would do that. <laughs> This week, the Patriots beat the Panthers 20-10. to 10. I caught the tail end of that game. I caught how it ended. And that was... Listen, that's interesting. That's exciting. The defense looked good against backups against backups. If we're starting off this segment with each team's biggest storyline of the week, it's twofold. Because on one hand... I mean, first of all, I got... I kind of reaffirmed for everybody just that... I we are the pettiest Bills podcast in that I was retweeting with gifts all of the negative reports coming out of uh, practices this week with the Raiders. Yep. Everything that was with with gif reactions to every and people are like someone quoted it and just said leave it to a Bills fan to be hating the Patriots so much they want them to lose during practice. So that, that that's a thing in and of itself. But then also, why the hell would your team be rumored to be trading away, apropos of nothing, yet another talented piece of its offensive line? I, I, first of all, let's start with the Isaiah Wynn stuff. Is there is this just much ado about nothing, or is there a little bit of is there a little bit of fire where that smoke is? I mean, I think it's more much ado about nothing. I mean, I think part of the offensive woes to date stem from protection problems up front, stem from offensive line problems. They're trying to figure out this new offensive system, protections, and all sorts of stuff we can dive into. Wynn didn't play, you know, Friday night. Like, he's been in and out a little bit. They've kind of been holding him back. That's led some to think that maybe they're getting ready for a trade. I don't think you trade him away. Like, he's probably your best offensive tackle right now. I hope not. It makes no sense to me. You know, but Bill Belichick has his way of doing business, guys. We know this. Like, if he feels like, look, he's getting near the end of the rookie deal and it's time to either pay him or move on, Belichick's moved on in a lot of cases. And maybe this is a scenario where they're looking at, could they get another receiver? Tyquan Thornton just went down with a collarbone. Could they, you know, add another position, you know, maybe in the secondary? They lost Malcolm Butler for the year. Like, Maybe they're looking at it as what can we get in return? He's probably our best offensive line, most tradable commodity. Maybe they're exploring that. I think it's crazy to do it. What so much has been made about the offensive line woes so far this season, but Bill Belichick does things his own way. This is this is true. This is true. He walks to the beat of his own drum. So then the other piece is the biggest storyline is just what a bad week of joint practices this has been for the Patriots offense. If we want to talk about the hows and whys, I, this is what I'm hearing, and this is what I'm seeing, and this is what I'm reading. It's just this concept that, first of all, they, they can't protect Mac Jones. He's under a lot of pressure, and that's forcing mistakes. You know, the two-minute drill the other day that ended with a really just untimely interception that the defense was celebrating, and Mac Jones is uncharacteristically kind of just, like, not pouting, but you could tell he's visibly frustrated these writers are all painting this picture for me, and I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I, I they're enjoying I, it. Oh my god! If if you could put it on a plate and cut it up, I'd take tiny bites and just savor it. But 
I want to know, again, is this much ado about nothing? Or are the problems that are plaguing the offense during these kinds of practice situations, are they real? I think they're real. And, you know, in, in talking to other people around this organization, talking to other people that are like at all of these practices, talking to beat writers on the record and off. I mean, I've had, I've had some tell me off the record that they've seen better practices from Paul Warner teams on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it starts up front. And look, look at what we saw Friday night when Mac Jones was in the game. They couldn't protect him. They had problems picking up blitzes. They had problems picking up stunts and, and twists and some games up front. They had problems just blocking simple one-on-ones. And when you add to the fact that absent, say, some scheme stuff like a Taekwon Thornton play where he was open and Jones didn't have time, when Jones had time, there weren't guys separated. He had one big throw to Nelson Aguilar and a four yes. vertical concept out of a three-by-one. But there's no time, and then guys aren't separated. And I don't care who you are as a quarterback. You could be Tom Brady. If you have no time to throw and guys aren't getting open, you're not going to be good. Well, we're going to talk about like uh, one of the things that we're talking about in our Winners and Losers podcast this week is just some of the play by other AFC's quarterbacks throughout the course of the preseason when they've all been on the field. Our, our guy just got one drive in the last game. That's all he's touched this preseason. Mac Jones got this series in this game. And you watch it and you look and you look at his yards per attempt and you say to yourself, okay, then you look at air yards per attempt and you go, oh, shit, no, he's just trying to get the ball out. He's just, okay, I'm going to take a drop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in the pocket for a few seconds and find out where I can get the ball out of my hands because there's no time to stay here and let the play develop. Are, that, has this been a thing throughout training camp? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, in regular practices, once the, the offense looked great and then the pads went on. And then that's when it kind of sort of fell to pieces because they couldn't protect them in padded practices. As we saw in joint practices with the Panthers, like they struggled to protect them. We're seeing it again in joint practices this week with the Raiders. Absent when they've gone, this week in particular, when they've gone tempo, when they've gone two-minute no huddle, things like that, they've been more effective. But in your usual red zone and your usual like, you know, Middle of the game drive situation, they can't get anything going on the ground. He's forced to take checkdowns. He's forced to throw it away. You know, when he does get an opportunity to throw, he's trying to throw it in traffic because guys aren't getting consistent separation. Now, that's led people to speculate, well, maybe we see more tempo. Maybe we see more up-tempo stuff, no-huddle stuff like they've done in the past or things like that. But now you're talking about, what is that? Kind of like a second offensive emphasis switch? No, because they, they, they've been doing this emphasis on outside zone, wide zone. That's kind of been a storyline this entire training camp. It's led to some people wondering if they're going to just scrap it. Darte Skanekia sat down with Karen Gergergen of the Boston Herald like last or two weeks ago and was like, if it's not working once we get through padded practices, they'll scrap it. Well, this is the second week of padded practices against other teams, you know, because that's what he's talking about. When you get through these joint practices, they might decide to scrap this idea. Here we are. And so are you going to now go move away from that after you spent all offseason and training camp putting that in? Or what are you going to do right now? I don't want to say it's full on panic mode, guys, but people's fingers are hovering over that panic button. I, it's funny because we've been talking about 
points of concern and confidence for each team, but I think you just laid out the groundwork of what the biggest concern for the Patriots are, which is just the direction and design of this offense. It They're still trying to figure it out, and the season's right around the corner. One of the things that I took away was this. I'm looking at my notes right now. So we spent a few weeks last season laughing about just the way Brian Flores was orchestrating his stuff out there last season in Miami and the way that he was going about like this walking. No one knew who was calling plays. No one knew who was actually in charge of the offensive design. It was uh, Elf Artiaga, who, who we talked to earlier, actually coined the phrase, calling it a Politburo offensive yeah. approach. Which isn't a good thing. It's like this, hey, nobody can actually get blamed since nobody knows who's doing the job. We laughed about that a lot last season. We've been laughing about kind of a similar thing here when it comes to Foxborough. And it took a stranger turn this week because Monday, Bilicek tells the media, not only is he ultimately the man in charge of the final decisions that get made, which is a Bilicekian answer. You know, when he starts it off going, listen, I'm the final authority on all things. But that it's going to be him, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, who are going to have a hand in giving advice and crafting their game prep, their in-game play calling. But then he also goes out of his way to mention, well, Nick Cayley's going to get some say. And Vinny Sanceri, Ross Douglas, Troy Brown, who are your tight end coach, running back coach, wide receiver coach, kick returner coach. I, I don't know. I might not... I might not like Bill Belichick, but I have to believe he's smart enough to know that taking the 30 seconds that you have from the time one play ends to where the headset gets cut off during the next play, involving 10 people in that process seems like a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately, you know, it, it's going to be one voice in Mac Jones's ear that's calling plays. I think all of the position coaches will have – midweek in week input on the game plan and perhaps a point of emphasis you know, for, for one week, for example, if they feel like they have a good matchup with their tight ends, you know, there'll be that emphasis that, look, we should try to get the tight ends Smith and Henry involved early. Maybe another week they like matchups running backs against linebackers. So you're going to get running backs coaches thought and input on that. But I think ultimately what matters more than anything else isn't who is calling these plays but how familiar they are with Mac Jones, you know, because that's the biggest part. And that's, you know, in this sort of palace intrigue that's surrounded this team right now, this almost King Lear succession house of the dragon kind of drama that's playing out over who's calling plays and whatnot. It's ignoring the fact that you've new moved to a new offensive system with this new offensive emphasis. You've changed how you're calling protections, which I think is something people aren't really talking about. But Mac Jones mentioned that like two weeks ago, and nobody was exactly what they mean by it and how they're doing it. But now you've changed the offensive philosophy, terminology, and emphasis. You've changed how you're calling protections. You have a new play caller. All of this is happening in Mac Jones's second year. I don't have to point out to the people that are largely listening to this podcast how important consistency is around a young quarterback. You guys have lived it the past four years. Yes. And so regardless of who. No, we lived it for 20 years. We lived it for 20 years where you guys kicked the shit out of us every opportunity because there was no continuity. There there wasn't continuity at quarterback. There wasn't continuity offensive coordinator. There, There was no flow or continuity to anything we did for 20 years. 
And now that's flipped on its head. Yes. And, and, you know, the other thing you mentioned is this, you, you sort of, you sort of talked about like looking around the, the other quarterbacks in the AFC East, you know, Patriots fans are used to this idea, this Belichickian idea of taking the first four games and having that sort of second training camp in preseason where you figure it out. Look around the AFC. Look around the AFC East. You can't go two and two while you figure this out. AFC East will be out of reach if you go two and two to take extra time to figure it out. And I think that is the undercurrent to all of the anxiety that you're seeing and hearing out of Patriots fans right now is the, the understanding that they are running out of time. It is getting very late, really early. And if you go into this regular season, still uncertain about what you're doing offensively, still uncertain about protections, still uncertain about who's calling the plays. You can't take September to figure that stuff out. No, but there's gotta be something. There's something that you as a Patriots fan, not just, not just someone who has to talk about them in your day-to-day work, but you as a fan and a lover of Patriots football, there's something that you have to walk away from this preseason process through two games, especially the fact that like you saw what they were against the Panthers this week. You got to see a little bit of your starters in live action. There's something there that you like about what they're doing. What is it? I mean, I think, you know, offensively, I think this the general idea of trying to find an offensive system that fits the 11 players that you're going to start is a good idea. I think, and I've talked about this a lot in some other shows, people have asked me, well, is this outside zone, wide zone, boot action, the best fit for Mac Jones? No, no, it's not. But it might be the best fit for the guys up front. It might be the best fit for the receivers you have. Because if you start thinking about condensing the formation, getting into bunches, get into things like that, that will create traffic and rubs. And you're going to manufacture separation via scheme and formation. If it, you know, that sort of idea of the rising tide lifts all boats. Well, if you're helping the other 10 guys, then by extension, you're going to help Mac Jones. And Mac Jones, I think, is good enough to run this kind of offense, even though I'd rather see them sort of spread it out, go five wide, let them grip it and rip it and just get the ball out quickly. I think that's probably a better system for him. Alabama did it. it in. Alabama, yeah, Alabama gave him. Alabama, you, you know what the offense that looked like when they had yeah. it. They, they, it was spread it out, throw it quickly, throw it deep off of RPO and play action yes. stuff. Like that's and, they had a ta- and they had one of the best offensive lines in college football. Yeah. And they still said, listen, our guy's kind of strength is let's let him stand in the pocket and deliver, even if that doesn't mean downfield. Even if it means, hey, he's going to take a three-step drop and he's going to see one to two targets and he's going to have to make a decision and rip it. He did that, and he did it well enough to be a first-round pick. So you need to let him do that. And the fact that they're talking about just blowing this thing up just – Again, I don't have any love for Alabama quarterbacks. Once they leave that, uh, not just once they leave the school, but once they leave the school and end up on a fucking AFC East team. Right. Oh, sorry. You're dead to me. Yeah. But it's funny that they're talking about doing all these things that don't necessarily play to his strengths. And so it's like, well, you hope that this has legs. And it does seem smart because you talked about their struggles generating separation. That was a storyline last year. And then they got Tycon Thornton, who was kind of supposed to be the he was supposed to be the guy that changed a little bit of that. Not a ton, but at least a little bit of that in terms of because Devontae Parker, they traded for him. His separation numbers have never been great. It's part of the reason that his stats have kind of been up and down throughout his career. 
Tyquan Thornton showed that he had some real route running chops and he has legitimate speed. That's yeah. obvious to anybody who pays attention to the draft. So to know that he just suffers this catastrophic injury and just derails your wide receiver room once again. Chris, didn't we just get done praising him like a week ago? Probably. I just got done talking about like what a great job he had done. He was a winner for the AFCs during one of our podcasts. And now he's on his way out. I should stop saying good things about the Bills altogether because apparently I'm a jinx. This kills you guys because you're back to having no one who can naturally get open on their own. And so with that, I just I see all of this and I say to myself, I wonder how Mark's like, what are your early season Sco show podcast going to sound like because I know that this is now a point you have to know I will be listening intently to all of the Patriots content you have to offer for the rest of the year <laughs> well I mean look I'm getting ready to record the episode you know for Thursday and it's going to be is it really panic time now because <laughs> a couple of weeks ago it was okay is it time to panic and you know I tried to caution people like look you know it's early. Skarnecchia said they'll scrap it. Like, we haven't had joint practices yet. We've barely put the pads on. Like, we can calm down now. Now it's late August. I was saying that, you know, late July, early August. Like, hey, when we get to late August, then it's time to panic. It's October. It's August 24th. It feels like October at this point. Like I said, it feels like it's getting late early. And the fear is that we're going to be a month from now, three games in, four games in, and it's going to be like, you'll forget who they're playing. It doesn't even matter. Like, yeah, you got Miami, you got Pittsburgh, you got Baltimore, you got Green Bay. It's not an easy start, you know? But forget about that. Forget about who they're playing, just how they're going to look. Right now, it's hard to envision that, hey, we get to, say, October 2nd, the day that they play the Packers, and they're going to be 3-0, and and that offense is going to be firing all cylinders. It is very hard to say that that will happen. It's more likely to say they're going to be one and two. They'll have lost to the Dolphins and the Ravens and beaten the Steelers. And now we're wondering what offensive identity is there? Have they scrapped it all? Have they gone in a completely different direction? Are we now looking already at what wide receivers can we add in the draft to get, to get some separation in one-on-one situations next year? Are we having the draft conversation in early October? I hope not. Is it possible? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be ideal for us that you have that. Oh, absolutely. Listen, week three preseason ahead of you, starters going to play, maybe, maybe not. What's left to prove going into this final week of the preseason for you guys? Can they protect Matt Jones? Like, regardless of Max sees one snap, one series or not, like, can you protect the quarterback? Like, and again, we don't know exactly how they've tweaked the protections and, and, you know, how it's being called and what they're doing from a schematic standpoint. But they haven't been able to protect the quarterback consistently yet. And so that's what I think is the main thing. I don't care about offensive philosophy. Like, I don't care if you're running the flex bone. I don't care if you're running a pistol-based <laughs> offense. If you can't protect the quarterback, regardless of offensive emphasis, you're going to struggle. And let's not forget, this is Mac Jones, second-year quarterback, who I think he showed more athleticism than he got credit for during his rookie season, but he's not Kyler Murray. And one of his weaknesses last year that's, that's been a, a point of emphasis during training camp is, can he get ahead of perimeter pressure schemes with his mind until he figures that out 
teams are going to keep throwing that stuff at them. And if you add in the fact that you're struggling to protect the quarterback anyway, that's not a great recipe. Mark, we love you. Our audience loves you. Where can they find you on social and where can they follow all your upcoming work? Well, I love you guys. I love all your listeners. It's always been fun coming on over the years and seeing the reaction uh, on Twitter at Mark Schofield, uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. I've got three different pods over at SB Nation, the Sco Show at the Pat's Pulpit, uh, the QB Factory Reboot with Rachel Prevet over at Bleeding Green Radio, and now talking the star with Connor Livesley. I'm actually doing a Cowboys podcast now, gentlemen. So you get a lot of places to find me, but on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Scott Mason, Mark Schofield, Alf Artiaga, the Undisputed Era. Is this another? Re- Damn yeah. it! It's a more recent one. Undisputed era. That's a, you know that's a measure of time, not like a group of people. So, so, so if you want to call yourself the undisputed era, like it, this is the undis- you're putting yourself like in the same category, an era, right? It's a it's a measure of time. It's not like what. So you're the mes. What is it? The uh, the Mesozoic. Well, like. Yeah, you don't even know what the fuck that word means, do you? It's a time. Oh! It's a time frame. I think that's when I visit when I went to visit my brother in Kansas City. That's what era they were in in Kansas. <laughs> that's a mess is up. They were in the mess. No, un- like undisputed era definitely refers to you and me, and this is the undisputed era of podcasting. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Our, our seven year reign year. over podcasting. Hey, according to Joe Marino, I am the Mel Kuiper. Of Buffalo Bills podcasting. I'll take that. I don't know. That might be... I'll uh, take that bad haircut and all. That might be Lars. That is true. They started and they retired and we're still going. Yeah. We took the torch. We ran with it. Yeah. I mean, but think about it. We're more stylish. We're obviously better looking than their whole crew ever was, except for Cassie. I mean, Bill... I met Bill in person. He's a a good-looking cat. I got to give him that. He's... You know, you just mentioned everything that I bring to the table in podcasting. <laughs> Style, good looking. None of that is you. Listen, I... Okay, so you know Facebook memories? Oh, yeah. So, I often joke with uh, Cover Ones, Greg Thompson, and Aaron Quinn. You know those services that they offer up to rookie... Uh, to, like, draft-eligible rookies or people getting out of college and going, like, out into the working world for the first time? Yeah, where like you subscribe and you give them all your social handles and your logins and they run this computer program that goes through and finds all your problematic tweets and posts so that you can like erase them. They would just delete everything for you. Well, my thing is I want to hire one of those services to go back and find all of the things that like because I, I find in my Facebook memories some of the most ridiculous shit like 12, 13 years ago before anyone knew what Facebook was going to turn into. That I would just say, I didn't care if my, fam- my friends, my family could see it. My mom saw these things. I didn't care. I thought it was funny. And I thought that's what Facebook was for. So it gives like an insight as to what my mindset was at different ages of my life. And I kind of want that service to go back and collect these so I can turn them into a coffee book. Today was a perfect example. Uh, to what, August 24th, 2022, 13 years ago today, my Facebook status was, you remember when people used to just make it a status? Instead yeah. of using it to complain about politics or the the convenience store down the street that wouldn't take your $50 bill. Yep. My Facebook status was just the only people who get laid less than funny fat guys 
are serious fat guys. And then, man, it must suck to be those jerk-offs. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing. At least, I like, like, you think about the span of time and how we used to be. Like, I've gotten more serious. I've gotten more, like, all adults do. I've gotten better over time. Think back to our early podcasts. I think we're more wild now than we ever used to be. Yeah, now that we get paid for it. Which is hilarious because that's not how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to start off just being loose cannons. And then eventually graduate towards doing more adult and more serious podcasts. And eventually you end up sitting behind these expensive-ass microphones talking like Walter Cronkite. And that's the news. <laughs> I had a, I and instead, had... we're over here chugging Seagrams. And I, I, in fact, I think we've become more offensive over the years. We probably have. A little wilder. I had a Facebook memory the other day that reminded me of something that's coming up in two days on Friday. Bill Bird's at the arena. I will like be there. 12 years ago, I went and saw him at the punchline in Atlanta. Really? Yeah. See? See? Social media isn't all evil. So, we're here tonight. We're wrapping this up with the Buffalo Bills. Okay? And it's it's funny because we talk about going back in time, right? You know, we talk about the when Bills and Beers first started their podcast. Yeah. Like Marty McFly. When you look at that era of Bills podcasting, it had to suck. There was obviously no end of things to discuss and things to talk about, and you were doing it to literally no one. It actually was just your mom and your like friends at work listening. Yeah. Because no one knew what the hell a podcast was. When you asked me to do this, I had l- quite literally never heard the term podcast. I didn't know it until... That's why I, put, that's why I blew you off for a calendar year, because I was like, what the hell is he talking about? A podcast. Yeah. I mean, I only did it because... Bobby Kelly, the comedian, had, as you know what, dude, and I saw him in 2013, and then we didn't start doing this until 15 when I wasn't... Because I kept shutting you down. No, I was on B-Shift. We had different working schedules. So what I love about this, though, is like you get to look back at how things have changed. Now we've reached a point where the preseason doesn't matter. There's obviously the lunatics out there on social media who are going to debate everything about this football team because they genuinely care about everything. This is the first time in over a decade, maybe a decade and a half, that I just, I haven't, it's been hard for me to care about so much of what's gone on this offseason. I talked about it with Joe Marino and John Fina during our podcast, The Bar. Just this idea that you might do a, I, I told him, I tip my hat to you, how you get behind the mic every, like do a daily podcast blows my mind because i run out of things to talk about on a weekly basis right now because i just don't genuinely care and i don't feel like faking it so this week we watched the bills beat the broncos 45 15 and like if we're talking about this past week what's the biggest storyline like what is the big storyline like we we talked about each of these the, the miami dolphins are cannibalizing themselves about quarterback situations and who should be qb1 qb2 qb3 the Patriots have their own issues, whether it's trading people, whether it's just offensive dysfunction as a whole. The Jets, I, I don't. <laughs> when we went into that conversation with uh, with Scott, I didn't know what to ask him. I let him pick what the biggest storyline was because I genuinely didn't know. Because they've got so much crap going on there, I don't know what matters most to that fan base. You look at our team. And the thing that probably made the biggest social media waves is the fact that we cut a punter for a different punter. 
I know. You should, uh... How about that? How about praise be me being correct every step of the way on this? We're getting a punter in the sixth round. We did it. Punter is going to be the one to hold in the first preseason game. First field goal or extra point. Correct. He was going to make the 53. Nailed it. I've been right every step of the way about Matt Ariza. How vindicated do you feel right now? I feel great. I'm. Uh, I feel like. Um, well, let me chug this cold so cooler fe- while you while you well, describe it. What it feels like to me is I become like the Eric Turner or Brett Coleman of specialists. That is the only facet that I hold. In yeah, chug that down. It's so in, cold. In film breakdown, mm. I'm only good mm. with the specialists. I can point out a good long snapper, a good punter, a good kicker. That's all I can bring to the table. What you're saying is NFL football teams should should pay me. God, it hurts. Chugging a Seagram's folk, it's, it, it leaves you with this feeling. It's like an ice cream headache. Yep. Except instead of ice cream, it's just bad. Like it's just. We need to. I need to write this on the board for the whole season. Oh. Keeping track of the Seagram's bets for the year. So far, you're 0-2. Yeah. I'll have my day. You're not doing good so far. I will far. have my off, day. Off to a bad start. At the, I think we all kind of knew, right? Like, when, they, when you saw the opportunity that Ariza was being given, in that, like, in that first game, when you found out he was the only person who was going to be holding field goals, you started, like, right then and there, you could have read the tea leaves and said, okay... They're deferring to the kid. They're giving him the inside track on the job because they spent draft capital on him. Yeah, you don't just cut draft capital. No, because that's, well, I mean, unless you're the Patriots and the guy turns out to maybe be a Nazi sympathizer. But I digress. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just I'm just, just saying. Um, with, with Chris, with the last name Rohrwasser. Yeah, maybe that's a problem. Yeah, like maybe that's a problem that so I I, I I could I'll save all my pettiness for our winners and losers podcast. So I guess what I'm saying is that if you're going to invest in that type of player, you're not cutting them. Yeah, you know, I think who was our kicker when Tyler Bass was drafted? I believe it was um, Hauschka. Hauschka. Hauschka up to that point had been okay. Like he wasn't great from long long range long range anymore. But he was still okay, and then we brought in a rookie. Yep. And the rookie was brought in to push him, but was given most of the key opportunities. And you kind of saw how that unfolded. This battle was the same thing. They gave Arise every chance to earn the job and basically said, prove us right that pegging you is a good idea. All he had to do was get the holding down. That's it. And in the last game, he didn't even get the fucking punt in the last game. And they went with him. Like, you knew it was... Co- like, that was probably the death knell for Matt Hawk, don't you think? Like, they maybe went into that game, don't you think? Like, that, know, knowing yeah. that they gave Ariza the inside track that first week. They probably went into that second week and said, you know what we're going to do? We are going to let Hawk punt a little bit, and we'll just... Actual punting. We know Ariza can hold now. Let's see who punts the best. And it just never fucking happened. <laughs> Which is hilarious. 
Well, we caught Hawk at the right time because the Colts, the Colts punter, what he tear his Achilles. <sighs> Right. So there's is a it, job. There's so, a job out there. If Hawk can walk on and compete for it. He signed already. Oh, what see, have, there it is. Where have you been all day? Um working, Chris, because I have I have a day job. I have a day job too, but it also no, no, it also happens job, at night. You have a job that takes place at night where you drive and sur- you basically do slow NASCAR with headphones on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I categorize your job. You do slow NASCAR. Well, listening to podcasts. But I work during the day twice, and it just happens to be on the weekends, and then another two nights at night. Were you just, you trying to like differentiate that? Sounds like NASCAR fans trying to defend the fact that, like, well, a couple times a year we make right-hand turns. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're talking about our team and what we have confidence in right now, I'd say it's probably the fact that we finally look to have some offensive balance. Like the rushing attack that this team has put together this offseason has been pretty robust. I mean, I've got some stats on that that we're going to go over in our winners and losers podcast because our offensive line was definitely a winner this week. But when you look at it on its face, you've got a quarterback who's proven that he can just march you down a field quickly. You've got a quarterback as a backup who, with the starters, decimated the opposing defense. Short, short range pass. I mean, he needed more receivers. He needed more throws to get down the field, but it didn't matter because you just, hey, we have too many weapons. You as a defense are going to be stressed, and I'm just going to, like, in a no game planning scenario, I've just got too many horses, and you can't stop them all. And we shredded the Broncos defense. First stringers against second stringers, second stringers against second stringers. It just never stopped into the third quarter where it was Matt Barkley and company still just cooking on just firing on all cylinders. And it was both the run and the pass. I think we had over 200 yards. I want to say 208 we finished with on the day. That's the that's what I want to see. Now, how much of that do you think is Cromer? I would say a lot of it based on what I've seen on Twitter about the play of Bobby Hart. (laughs) The fact that we're here talking about Bobby Hart, actually, John Scott from uh, Spectrum News here locally, has, he's going to air a, a piece tonight that I'm, I'm going to have recorded, and I'm going to urge people to go check out where he interviewed him and basically talked to him about this idea that everyone hates you. Like, not everyone hates you, but people just seem down on you all of the time. The Cody Ford trade opens the door for Bobby Hart to make the final 53 this year. And how bad are you if you get passed over for Bobby Hart? Well, I think he had value. I think Cody Ford had some value to him where Bobby Hart had none to an opposing team, so they traded for, they gave us a fifth. If they had given us a fifth-round pick for Bobby Hart, that trade would have happened. But that's not. But he basically just talked to John Scott a little bit about how I don't care. He's like, my social media stuff, I don't care what people think. My teammates, my family, my coaches. Outside of that, I don't give a damn. And I got to respect that as someone who also doesn't give a damn about much of anything. But so when you look at that, I think that that's probably the biggest thing we have going for us is that our offense looks to not only have a solid play color, but solid balance in terms of how we're going to be able to execute our offense, which last year was the only thing that held us back on offense. Don't you think? If there was any points of concern, how can you talk about concerns when oh, what uh, two of the team's last four games that they suited up for, 
They haven't had to punt. Going back to the end of last season, I want you to let that sink in. The Buffalo Bills, two for f- two out of four games against other teams that they've had to play, they did not punt. That's ridiculous. Someone would think that I made that statistic up if I were to walk into a bar and just loudly announce it. That's it. So there's really nothing I can be upset about. There's nothing I can be concerned about. Just wait until the end of the first drive against the Rams. Oh, yeah, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. You, the, A rise is going to come out to punt from the Bills 38. And he's going to shank one. And then he's, yeah, he's going to shank his first professional punt on national television. And then you're going to go on Twitter and try to get Matt Hawk back. Oh, I might even have something better than that cooked up. Halftime punting competition. We'll get it on tape. It's going to happen. I know this because I know myself. But realistically, like, what's the what's the thing? Uh, the fact that we haven't named a kick returner yet? Yeah, we're still waiting on that. Uh, the fact that our the, the the fact that our defense looked sloppy in their first series, they missed a lot of tackles. I'll get that buttoned up. Yeah, it's called rust. You and I talked about this before we aired. We were looking for stats. I, I was digging deep for stats on missed tackles and which team rated the highest. I do know that the, the Lions finished 32nd. I don't know where the Bills finished, but I know it's not there. Consider you don't make it to the number one offense without the number one defense in the NFL if you're also missing a ton of tackles. That's not a thing that happens. So what is there to be worried about? Our depth-wide receivers are working their asses off. Pump battle settled. Our quarterback is in. Our depth is better than other team starters. What else do you have? You're I feel like Will Ferrell. I, I feel like Maximus and Gladiator. Just I'm going to throw my sword into the chief seats and go. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? This team right here. Is this not why you are here? I think you'd be more like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights because you've never dealt with this before. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> so I no put your hands down. I, I I've but, never been in this position where we got. Wide receiver room settled, quarterback settled, running backs settled. Like, we don't know what we're doing with kick returner is our biggest problem. It's impressive. Fucking wild. Wild times, guys. We are going to go into our final preseason game against the Carolina Panthers, resting all of our starters. I mean, what are you looking forward to, Chris? What, what, what are you going to be watching for in that game? Oh, well, I'll tell you what I'll be watching. It's Carolina. So if you remember the last time we played Carolina within the preseason, I'll be waiting until the fourth quarter to see somebody like Greg Little make a block and then take that gif and send it to Russ Brown. That's probably what it'll be. <laughs> I don't even think he's on the team anymore. I think he's elsewhere. Hey, you're, you're the show's yeah. Jamie. Why am I Googling things? Call in if you know what happened to Greg Little. Yeah, call in if you know where that asshole went to. Oh, think about that. Him and Cody Ford. The two tackles traded up for in the second round of that draft. They both suck. (laughs) Uh, These are... We all need to remember to take a deep breath, right? And all the analysis, all the over-analysis that takes place, we all need to remember. Take a deep breath and enjoy this. We are on the doorstep of what might be... Greg Little's on Miami. Yeah. Good luck with that, Fins. 
We are on the doorstep of what might be one of the most fantastic seasons of Bills football anyone in our fan base's history has ever gotten to witness. Better than the 90s. You know, better than the years we went to the Super Bowl against the Cowboys. Better than the year when we beat the Brakes off of the Oakland Raiders. What was that, 51-3 to at home? Yeah, the, the uh, AFC Championship game en route to Super Bowl twenty-five. We could be on the verge of witnessing something better than that. So enjoy it. Just remember to have fun with it. Lord knows I will. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you to all of our guests. We're going to get the hell out of here for tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. This has been your AFC's Roundup.